This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. He who believes on him is not condemned, but he who believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our time in God's word this morning, let's ask his guidance and direction on our study. Our Father, we're thankful for this time that we have to come to your word. Father, we recognize that in life we face many challenges. Among those challenges for many, many people are health challenges, the health test that truly does bring into focus many different uh tests that relate to health, related to finances at times, related to time, related to priorities, energy, all kinds of things enter into those health tests. And there is a pressure that comes for seeking any kind of relief, and often people look to the wrong thing. We live in an era today when there are uh, many uh, false teachings and false prophets and evangelists that emphasize a healing that is not scriptural but is often wrapped in scriptural terminology and the misuse of verses. And it's called, it, it requires us to have discernment, often to understand these doctrines that may not be a part of our own experience, but in order to be able to help others, to strengthen others, to encourage others in the midst of these tests. So, Father, we pray that as we study what the Scripture says about healing, that we might come to understand the promises of your word better, that we may apply them more consistently in our own lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the great challenges for many people in life is comes under the category of the doctrine of suffering. Why does a good God allow people to suffer? Why does a good God, a righteous God, or a holy God allow evil in the universe. And it gets more personal for a lot of people when they go through specific uh, challenges, especially health challenges. If you take out a, any prayer list from any church, you can take out our prayer list, you'll see that it's dominated by people who have problems with health. Some of these are ongoing debilitating problems related to perhaps arthritis or perhaps related to just the aging process or other other things. Many of us face minor health things that we're uh, struggling with uh, all the time uh, to more advanced and more serious diseases that may even threaten life. Uh, we often deal with this both personally or indirectly in terms of our own families, in terms of parents or sometimes in terms of children. And as believers, we need to understand what uh, God says and what he has informed us about in terms of disease. Often there are numerous questions that get raised, 
questions about suffering as a broad sense. Why does God allow suffering in the human race? Uh, we ask other more specific questions, such as why does God allow us to encounter debilitating disease, fatal illness, overwhelming pain or misery, and just general general uh, illness? It's a p- topic that pastors have to address. This whole issue of healing is and health is such a core issue in our culture. I mean, one of the most dominant news stories over the last two or three years or longer has been uh, health insurance and national health care. I mean, it goes back in some form back to uh, the, the Hillary care that was proposed back in the mid-90s. But that's because the rising costs of health care put such a burden upon numerous people uh, just to get ba- basic care, just to survive. And so this is a topic that we have to understand. And, and at the same time, you can turn on your television on any given day and go to a variety of different uh, religious broadcasting stations, and you will come across these healing evangelists that are promising all kinds of things. And some of them you look at, and they seem pretty extreme and pretty dramatic, and uh, it's obvious that they are, it seems obvious to perhaps you and I that they are just showmen and using various manipulative techniques. But there are millions upon millions of Christians who, who, who follow them. Uh, and believe that they are actually providing uh, healing for people and they are uh, distracting people. So we have to come to understand what the Bible teaches because people like this frequently quote the Scripture. And that kind of language, that healing language that comes out of the influence of this whole, um, what I'll call the whole faith healing movement in the United States, the language that comes out of that has infiltrated the everyday language of some people in non-charismatic, uh, non-charismatic denominations. And, it, I, you know, I have people that I know, and I hear them say certain things, and I, I know it's not the, my position or it's not the circumstance to correct them, but I'm like, you, you realize the last five things you said are totally, are, are, is language, it's totally based on a fallacious view of God and of the scriptures. And yet they have no idea about that because they're not taught, uh, they're not trained in the scripture. And this is a sad reality in our culture is among the vast majority of, of Christians today, there's so little accurate teaching that they are easily uh, distracted and they are easily led, led astray. There's so much misinformation, disinformation, and just flat-out false teaching about God's healing that we have to take some time to address it. Now, in the context of our study of Matthew, we've come to Matthew chapter 8 and 9, and last week we saw uh, four different uh, miracles that Jesus performed related to healing. There are many other miracles that Jesus performed related to healing, and in fact, we ran into one statement just at the end of our study last time in Matthew 8:16, where we read this generalized statement that when evening had come, they, that is, the, the people around Capernaum and in, in, in that area of Galilee, brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. 
Now, we don't know how many that was, but it was a large number. And we have these kind of general healing statements many times in the Gospels. And if you just read the New Testament superficially, it's easy to think that this is something that should be expected to be normative in the Christian life. After all, Jesus heals so many people. God is a good God. Why would God want you to be sick? God has provided healing. And if you read certain verses in Isaiah 53, and there's, a, in fact, there's a quotation uh, from Isaiah 53:4 in verse 17 that we closed with last time, uh, which states, He Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So doesn't the Bible teach that Jesus should provide healing for us in our salvation and that we should be made well? And then there are these voices that we hear across the spectrum in, uh, in evangelicalism, and especially in the media, that God wants you to be well and God wants you to be happy. And it sounds good and it appeals to our sin nature. We have a difficult time in our narcissistic culture of understanding this whole concept of suffering in the Christian life and that this is really God's will for us to go through periods of our life where we may be facing uh, intense suffering, physical pain and hardship and disease again and again and again because that is how we are being matured spiritually, that God understands these things and that God has allowed this to happen in our life because that is where we need specific work in our spiritual life. So we need to understand all of these kinds of things and that it, and how to properly understand and interpret these particular, uh, these particular issues. The health test as I'm going to call it, that um, comes to many believers puts and can put an incredible pressure upon people. And part of that pressure is clearly financial in this day and age, especially as, as we get older. And I have seen this happen with some older uh, believers who have been very solid in their faith and are very well taught. And all of a sudden, when they get into their senior years, and they have some debilitating illness that has just sucked their resources out of their bank accounts and has sapped their energy and their strength. And the next thing I hear is that they're going to some strange healing uh, process to try to recover from this disease. You'd be amazed at how many people do this. They'll grasp at any straw in the hope that somehow... In some way, they will be able to recover uh, from a stroke or recover from cancer or recover from some other uh, debilitating situation so that life can get back uh, can get back to normal and There are so many things out there that promise health and healing that we have to understand how to address this a- as a believer i 've also known many believers who've been so terribly distracted from their spiritual lives because of the, the health test that it just craters them. They may have years of success, and then they hit this one test, and, uh, and that seems to just crater their whole, their whole spirituality. Also, you face a number of Christians. We have some in this congregation. 
We have some who are listening online. We have others who will listen to this in, in years to come who have come out of a background of the, uh, the, the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel, the faith healing movement, however you want to term that, who wrestle with these particular questions because of the way they were, they were taught or the way they were brought up or because of some of the, their initial experience, uh, in the Christian life. Uh, they are aware of these healing ministries that are out there. Now, some of these names may not be that familiar to you, but they're familiar to a lot of folks who have had this kind of a background. In the United States, I would say there's been almost three generations, although these folks overlap and influence each other. You have some of the early stages in the uh, charismatic and the healing revivals with uh, people like Catherine Kuhlman and later Oral Roberts. And uh, today, the most popular healing evangelist in the in the world is a guy by the name of Benny Hinn. And there are millions of people who get attracted to these ministries, and they ha- generate an enormous amount of of uh, financial resources. And so they're on television a lot, and so people see that, and they become uh, quite distracted. And it raises a lot of questions about uh, healing and doesn't God actually want us to heal. Now, outside of Christianity, we also have a lot of faith healing that is offered. It's really the same kind of thing that you find in the the ministries of people like Oral Roberts, Catherine Kuhlman, Benny Hinn, and many, many others that you see on, on television. I'll talk about that just a little bit. Uh, when you look at the techniques and the modus operandi of those who are not Christians, they don't really differ from the so-called healing evangelists, except they don't have Bible verses. They don't have scripture references. They're not talking about God and Jesus and praising the Lord all the time. And there's no veneer of the gospel ever being, ever being present. We also have people who are the purveyors of what I'll just call New Age medicine. This is some sort of metaphysical approach to medicine and to health and healing that is often influenced to one degree or another by uh, Eastern, uh, Eastern the, the metaphysics of Eastern religions, uh, where the healing is based on understanding the energy in our bodies and the energy in the cell structure of our bodies. And ultimately within uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, it comes back to the fact that the reason you are sick is because uh, your energy isn't properly aligned or your energy isn't properly uh, uh, properly focused, and so you need to have your chakra points all lined up and pointed in the right direction, and then uh, you will have, have health and, and healing. And often this gets uh, sanitized when it comes over into Western culture. Uh, and, and one of the forms in which this has been sanitized is in the area of chiropractic medicine. Now, I've gone to chiropractors for a good bit of my life, and I think that there are some really good chiropractors. And one of my favorites was uh, Bruce Bumgardner, who's a pastor of Pine Valley. Some of you may not know that. He was a chiropractor for years. But he was what I call basically a good backcracker chiropractor. When I was in Irving and pastoring in Irving, I had a guy in my church who was going through chiropractic school, and they were just feeding him this whole line 
of, of basically Eastern meditation material, and it was all energy-related, energy but it was, uh, it, it was ca- uh, camouflaged with scientific terminology. And I've been to some of those kinds of chiropractors, too, where they're lining up your energy, they're reading your aura, they're doing all this kind of weird stuff, and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Uh, I think that in some of these areas of so-called New Age medicine that there's some debate, a lot of debate over what's valid, what's not valid. Some things are clearly based upon physiological uh, realities in terms of our skeletal structure, muscular structure, things of that, uh, things of that nature. But when it gets into things where people start, uh, focusing on lining up your, uh, chakra points or your energy points and things of that nature, then I think we need to, uh, really evaluate that. There are other types of healing that are offered through the use of, um, of aromatherapy, uh, various herbs, uh, crystals, uh, being, uh, uh, you know, channeling energy through, through pyramids. I've read of people who have built their, their homes in the shape of a pyramid so they can channel the energy of the universe and they, they can be healthy. All of these kinds of things come, come out of, uh, the, the framework of Eastern, uh, Eastern mysticism. But the bottom line is really more more practical. Uh, this type of healing that is usually claimed in these types of approaches, whether it's the faith healing uh, uh, that is demonstrated by the the Christian evangelical uh, evangelistic faith healers, or whether it's the New Age type, the type of healing that they seem to offer are really related to incidental pains, migraine headaches, back pain, arthritis, uh, leg lengthening, certain things that are not what I would call a constitutional defect. Now, I've used that term for a long time. There's a different medical term uh, for that I'll get into in in a minute. What I mean by constitutional defect is an organic disease, something like cancer or a broken bone or permanently damaged or severed uh, nerve endings that produce paralysis. That's a totally different kind of disease, a different kind of problem than what we see uh, the usual things that are presented and healed through either new age, uh, new age type medicine or, or what we see from, from so-called faith healers. One of the problems that we have is that documentation is extremely rare. But this is an important concept because if you're really claiming to heal things, and the faith healers do make claims that they heal cancer and they heal uh, other organic diseases, documentation for that is extremely, uh, extremely lacking. When they are really put to the test, when somebody really uh, goes into those ministries or into those healing areas, and start challenging people looking for hardcore, verifiable, repeatable uh, data, it, it suddenly vanishes. All kinds of claims are made. Uh, even some books have been written alleging documentation, but when you get somebody who knows the issues of health or they understand the issues related to 
some of the uh, false claims of healing, uh, suddenly the uh, alleged documentation uh, disappears and data is virtually non-existent. I've been studying and reading in this area for probably 30-plus years uh, in the pastorate. When I worked on my uh, doctoral dissertation at Dallas Seminary, my focus was on the uh, signs and wonders movement. I was dealing with historical theology and specifically in the rise and development of the uh, charismatic movement in the 20th century because it's the most prominent movement within Christianity uh, uh, in our generation, and it is, in fact, the vast majority of Christians in the world would probably identify themselves in some way as as charismatic, and we have to deal with that. In fact, we live in a day today when the younger generation, those under 40, consider it the height of arrogance to say that, that the sign gifts have ceased or the tongues have ceased or that, that these healing ministries are, are, are not uh, valid or are not biblical. Uh, that's the influence of the relativism of a postmodern culture on their kind of thinking. They reject anything that comes close to making these kind of absolute claims related to the interpretation of Scripture. And so we see this this loose kind of thinking just just rapidly increase across the spectrum in evangelicalism. Now. About 25 or 30 years ago, I made the acquaintance of a uh, man who had worked with Campus Crusade for a number of years by the name of Danny Corum. Danny was a really interesting guy to talk to because Danny's profession was that he was a magician. I always liked watching somebody who was really proficient at magic tricks. But Danny Corum was nothing compared to another Campus Crusade man, by the name of Andre Cole. Andre Cole, you may have heard of. He's he's much more famous, although he's not a performer as much as he is an inventor of magic tricks and illusions. In fact, he has worked together with uh, the well-known uh, illusionist David Copperfield to create and invent many of the illusions that Copperfield has, has used over the years. And uh, Andre Cole... Uh, is considered one of the top five inventors of illusions and magic tricks in the world. And for the last 35 years or 40 years, he has been on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. And he is a, an evangelist with Campus Crusade for Christ, but he has also been very deeply involved in investigating and exploring all of these claims to health and healing that are made by the so-called healing evangelists. And so he has a perfect background for that. He and Danny Coram have worked together quite a bit, and it's quite interesting to listen to them as they are so familiar with all of the counterfeit techniques and methodologies that are out there that when they watch these people on television, the healing evangelists and others, they immediately spot things that just go past you and I because they understand the mechanics of what uh, an illusionist uses. And even though they would say that many of these uh, p- these folks like Catherine Kuhlman or Oral Roberts or Benny Hinn and others, that they don't, they may have never been trained in these subtle techniques of uh, uh, group hypnotism or uh, suggest making uh, suggestive uh, think, think things to people that even though they're not trained in that, that's exactly what it is uh, that they are doing. 
and Andre Cole in a recent publication recounted the years that he worked in close cooperation with Benny Hinn. He wrote Benny Hinn a, a very nice letter, asked him if that they could work together in documenting from all of the tens of thousands of alleged claims of healings that have taken place over the 20 or 30 years of Benny Hinn's ministry, they could document uh, any healings that would fit a biblical pattern. Benny Hinn was quite open to this, invited Andre Cole to meet with him on numerous occasions, and they went through years. Benny Hinn, in fact, uh, would go out and he would uh, go on his international broadcast and, and ask people to come forward who would bring evidence and documentation of their, of their healings. Uh, many times Benny Hinn promised that he had the data and that he would give that to Andre Cole. It never happened. Uh, Andre Cole relates that finally uh, Benny Hinn's ministry produced a short publication to document these various healings, and the reality was they only could come up with ten, eight of which didn't fit the pattern, two of which seemed to be legitimate, but upon further investigation, what they discovered was that the people who were allegedly healed had also gone through years of surgery and additional medical treatment, and again, their healings did not either did not last or they were not completely attributable to the work of Benny Hinn. Uh, on the other hand, outside of Christianity, you have a huge uh, rise of the same kind of thing. There are, there's a team of healers in Russia by the name of uh, Kasparovsky and Chumak. They're not Christian. They don't claim to be Christian. Uh, they are healing rock stars in the former Soviet Union. They appear on television throughout Russia, and they hold healing conventions not not any different from those that are held by some of these healing evangelists uh, in all the major cities throughout uh, throughout Russia. They claim to heal broken limbs and scars and blindness and even AIDS. Uh, followers uh, of, of them, uh, their followers put tubes of cold cream and oil in front of their television sets or on top of their radios, and then uh, they'll apply that to their uh, diseases, to their bodies, so that they will be healed. Now, if you've been around for very long, you'll know that this is the same kind of thing that, that you'll hear from Oral Roberts. I've heard Oral Roberts say, if you just put the oil on top of your television, it will get blessed, and then when you anoint yourself with that oil, you'll be healed. It's the same techniques. The only thing that's missing from the Russian healers is the, the gospel, any, any cloak of religiosity or the name of God or anything else. One of the things we should note as we talk about this is just some basic terminology. Faith healers, almost to, to a majority, there's no documentation of them ever healing at what is called an organic disease. Uh, they try to come, come up with evidence related to what we would call functional diseases. And a functional disease, according to the writings of Dr. Eric Chico, who's an MD who works with uh, uh, Andre, Cole, Andre Cole, is a disease that's associated with the function of a bodily organ or tissue, but there's no damage to the organ or the tissue. 
whereas organic disease involves some sort of significant change to a bodily organ or a tissue, such as we have with uh, someone who is born blind from birth, someone who is like Helen Keller, who's also deaf from birth, somebody who has leprosy, somebody who might be paralyzed due to an accident where their spinal cord and the nerve endings uh, would be completely severed. That would be an example of an organic disease, whereas a functional disease might involve things related to high blood pressure, muscle pain, arthritis, headaches, back pain, things of that nature. One of the th- what we see in contrast to uh, divine healing, let me skip ahead to a slide here, what we see in contrast uh, to divine healing among faith healers is that faith healing takes time. If you look at the examples of divine healing in Scripture, they're instantaneous. Second, faith healing may appear to be immediate, but it doesn't last. One of the reasons for that is that when you go to these healing uh, crusades, is that the these healing evangelists understand the crowd psychology and they're able to get everybody so hyped up emotionally that there is an ex- expectation that healing will take place and they are convinced that it has whether something has been there has actually taken place or not i have actually been in situations uh, like that uh, the reality is that the brain can become so stimulated uh, to release endorphins into the nervous system that science calls, and medical science identifies endorphins as pain suppressants that can be 200 times more potent than morphine. So people can go, be under incredible pain, get so psyched up in a meeting like this that they actually believe they, their body releases these endorphins, it suppresses the pain, and they think they're healed, but this effect weighs, wears off in a couple of days or more. Faith healers use a variety of simple hypnotic or suggestive techniques. They're often accompanied by rather sophisticated techniques of crowd manipulation and uh, psychological conditioning. In contrast, when we look at the healings in the Bible, uh, the, the healings there are always instantaneous. They are 100% successful. There's no lengthy recovery period afterwards. There's no process. They are done completely and apart from any other uh, medical attention that could possibly be responsible for the healing. Uh, today, believers have to be challenged by the truth and to learn to really trust God. So some of the basic questions we're addressing is, does God heal today? Does God want you to be healthy and well? Or in the words of the health, uh, the, the, the prosperity movement, does he want you to be healthy and prosperous? Uh, we have to understand why Jesus and the apostles healed people. And they didn't heal everybody. In fact, they healed just a small percentage of people. Fourth, we need to address the question, was faith necessary to be healed? Because there are many people who think that faith is a requirement, a biblical requirement from, from being healed. Now, it may surprise you, but things haven't changed much in the last hundred years. I ran across this quote in a book on divine healing by Reuben A. Torrey that came out in 1924. 
Reuben A. Torrey was a, an associate of Dwight Moody's in the late 19th century. He was president of uh, Moody Bible Institute, and then he left there to go to Los Angeles, where he was a founder and the founding president of the uh, of Biola. That Biola was an acronym for the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And in a book he wrote in 1924, he said, The subject of divine healing is awakening an unusual interest in all parts of our country at the present time. Much is being said in favor of it, even by persons who have been opposed to the doctrine in times past. Much is being said against it on every hand. The land is being flooded with religious adventurers who are taking advantage of the widespread interest in this important subject to deceive and to rob people. Some things just don't change, and they continue today. But it's amazing. This whole healing movement has increased and increased uh, over the years. So as we address this issue, let's start thinking it through very logically and biblically. We look at various questions. I want to raise some additional questions. Um, when we ask the question, is God healed today?, Subsets of that are how would God be healing today, and is it always God's will to be healed? We have to think that through. Does God really want us? Is that his priority to make us healthy? Uh, another question is, where did the modern-day healing co- movement come from? Is this really biblical in its source? That's not exactly true. Uh, are many modern healings that are claimed to take in place like those in the Bible. That's the key issue. And another key issue we need to address is, is there healing in the atonement? When we look at passages like Matthew 8:17, which I addressed last time, we have to, we, it looks on the surface as if we should expect healing. So as we address this, first of all, we have to realize uh, a couple of categories. God has healed uh, in the past through various different means. We realize that God has healed many times indirectly or immediately. This means that God heals through a human agent. Now, when we talk about this first category, that God has healed indirectly or immediately, that is, he uses some human, human agent. You can think about Elijah or Elisha or Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, uh, these were people who God used to heal other people. That's what I mean by intermediate. What we have, first of all, are two categories, a supernatural, uh, indirect, and uh, which is miraculous, as well as an indirect natural healing. So we have uh, indirect supernatural and indirect natural. Now, just think this through logically. It's supernatural, but it is uh, indirect. This is defined as when God uses a human agent as the means of effecting the healing. It's indirect, but it's miraculous. God heals through the Apostle Paul or Elijah or Elisha so that the human agent stands between God and the person that's afflicted and, and heals them. This is what we see in the miracles in the Gospels. It's immediate, it's instantaneous, and there's no doubt as to its cause. Normal physical, biological laws are suspended and overridden. So that is the supernatural and miraculous, such as the healing of the lame man. Then we have the, the indirect natural. It's indirect because it goes through an agent, but in this case the agent is a doctor. 
He's your physician. And the doctor is using the natural uh, laws uh, of creation that God has built into creation and through the use of medicine and surgery, as well as through training and education and the use of antibiotics and other medicines, uh, as well as surgery, people are healed. So this is indirect. God ultimately is in charge of the universe. He's established these principles, but this is done without anything supernatural. So when when we are healed by our physician, that's just as much God healing us, but it's indirect and using natural means and methodologies. And secondly, we also see in Scripture that God heals directly without a human uh, agent. He may, and this happens when we pray, and I know, I believe, of legitimate situations. I've known of a few people who, uh, according to their testimony, and I trust them, that they were, were very ill, they had cancer, and they uh, spent a lot of time in prayer, and apart from any treatment that they had, uh, they were healed. That is extremely rare. Uh, in some cases, it might even be due to their treatment, but in one particular case I'm aware of, the doctors had no idea if any treatment would work. They did go through some chemotherapy, and they finally quit it, and yet sometime later uh, the cancer completely uh, disappeared. God does answer prayer. We can pray, and God will, will sometimes answer that health-oriented prayer positively and this is genuine. It is rare. It's not the norm for the Christian life, though. So that would be what I would call a direct supernatural um, event. Then you also have God working uh, directly in prayer through an indirect means, like through a doctor or through the natural immune system of the body. I think this is maybe what uh, Paul describes in Philippians 2, 25 to 27, when he's talking about his friend Epaphroditus, who is sick, he says, unto death, that under they, they expected Epaphroditus to die. They prayed for him, and over time he recovered. It wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't quick. It just... Uh, it was probably the natural immune system uh, uh, that God was using to bring about the, the healing and the recovery of Epaphroditus. But that, is, again, this is not always the norm. This is the problem that we often see today. Often today what we do, what we see is that people ask the wrong question. The question they ask is, don't you believe that God heals today? What do you mean? You don't, you, you don't think that Benny Hinn is, is really healing people. Don't you believe that God heals today? It's the wrong question. And often when we ask the wrong question, by answering it, it leads us into uh, heretical territory. So we always have to be careful about the questions that we ask. The issue really isn't, does God heal today? The issue is, how has God revealed that he heals today? We all agree that God is able to heal anyone from any disease at any moment. That's not the question. The question is, how has God revealed that he is going to heal today? And another part of this would be, has God revealed that we should expect his intervention in our illnesses, diseases, and deformities as a normal experience in the Christian life? That's where we, we separate ourselves from those within the healing tradition within the charismatic 
uh, Pentecostal movement, is we don't believe that this is supposed to be the normal experience of the Christian life. The question must be always addressed in terms of how has God revealed that he is going to work. Now, the next question we need to address is why did Jesus and the apostles heal? Why is this revealed to us in Scripture? Is this revealed to us because this is something that we should expect, or is this revealed to us for a completely separate reason? As part of this, we have to also address a secondary question, which is, was faith and or salvation a prerequisite for healing? When we look at the examples that we have in Scripture, often what you hear today is, well, the reason you weren't healed is you really didn't have enough faith. Well, there are many examples in Scripture where the people who were healed didn't have any faith at all. They weren't even believers. God healed them anyway. Jesus healed them anyway. The apostles healed them anyway. So this is, this is the issue. Why did Jesus heal people? First of all, to present his messianic credentials. He wasn't just healing because he didn't want people to be sick. He healed because this was a sign of who he was as the God-man and as the Messiah who was presenting the kingdom to Israel. And the the kingdom as presented in the Old Testament would be a, a time when there would be no sickness, no death, that the curse of sin would be rolled back partially, and there would be healing would be normative in the life of a believer. But that's part of the kingdom. So Jesus is giving a preview of coming attractions when he healed those in his environment. Look at passages like Isaiah 42.7, a prediction that the Messiah would come. He would open blind eyes, uh, and he would bring prisoners out from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness uh, from the prison. And on that day, in Isaiah 29.18, on that day the deaf shall hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Now, this is talking about a prediction of a radical kind of healing that would restore sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. This is also seen in passages like Isaiah 35, 4, and, and following, and especially in verses 5 and 6. The eyes of the blind will be open, ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. So this is talking about what it would be like in the millennial kingdom, but the Messiah will be the one that will bring this into effect. So, as we look at this, we see that healings were never performed merely for their physical benefit. And we can go through a number of passages. I'm posting all of this on the Dean Bible Ministries website because I'm throwing a lot of data out here. Sometimes I throw a lot of data out here because I want you to just catch the thrust of the Scripture. If you want to get all the verses that I mentioned, you can pull that down off of the website. But I want you to see the, over, the overwhelming strength of the data. In Matthew 8:17, it foreshadows, as a verse that we've studied last week and I've mentioned today already, it foreshadows the messianic promise of Isaiah 53. In Matthew 9, 6, which we'll look at in the next week or two, uh, it demonstrates G- that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. 
in Matthew 11, 2 through 19, it confirmed that the miracles of healing confirmed his identity to John the Baptist when he was in prison. In Matthew 12, 15 to 21, it foreshadows the fulfillment of Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. In uh, John 9, 3, it demonstrated the reality of Christ as the light of the world. Only Jesus healed the blind. None of the other so-called healers of his time or of our time can provide healing to the blind. It is a specific messianic sign. In John 11:4, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead for the purpose of glorifying God. In John 20, 30, and 31, these signs were evidence of Jesus' messianic claims. In Acts 2:22. We see that God the Father used these signs to authenticate the claims of Jesus. So Jesus didn't just heal willy-nilly. He didn't just heal because he wanted everybody to be healthy. He didn't heal because that was God's plan for everybody's life. He healed because this demonstrated who he was, and he did not heal uh, everyone. Next time we're going to come back, I want to continue looking at the doctrine of healing so that we can understand it in Scripture, both in terms of its purpose in the Gospels and in Acts, but also when we look at other passages in Isaiah 53 especially that connect sin and healing and the work of Christ on the cross. This is a, a, a huge uh, issue that is presented from from one side of this debate from the charismatics that healing was in the atonement and we have to understand that so we'll wrap up the study in healing next time and this is important because it gives us then a solid framework uh, as we look at the coming miracles that we'll study in the next uh, two or three chapters as well as throughout the rest of Matthew. Father we thank you for this opportunity to come together this morning and to look at your word to recognize that we live in a world where there's so much distraction and there's so much uh, uh, disinformation and misinformation. There's so much false teaching that occurs uh, even within the body of Christ, that we have loved ones, we have friends, we have associates that get distracted by these things. And we're in a position as believers to help encourage them with biblical truth, to point them in the right direction, and to help them understand uh, life and you as you're revealed in Scripture. Father, we pray that we may be well-equipped as believers in this area, that we may be uh, used to encourage and strengthen believers who are going through uh, significant times of, of adversity as they face health challenges in their own life, knowing that you are the God who loves us. And even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our pain, this is an opportunity for us to trust you and to glorify you and to be a witness to those around us. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's unsure of their salvation or uncertain of their eternal destiny, that they would take this opportunity to make that sure and certain. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. So the sin is no longer the issue. The issue is faith alone in Christ alone. It's simply believing in him, that he died for you, that he paid the penalty for your sins, that he's who he claimed to be, that he was buried and rose again, and that by trusting in him, in him alone, you can have eternal life. 
Father, we pray for the rest of us. You will challenge us with what we've learned today, that we may have a greater understanding of your word and of your power and of how you work in our lives as believers in the church age. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.